Hey there, my name is Pastor Roy, and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly, and we're so glad that you've joined us for our online service today. We're into part seven of our series, Here I Am to Worship, where we've looked at many of the ways in which we can live a life of worship that's categorized by worship. This morning, we're going to take a look at the topic of prayer. Now, if you're over the age of 40 today, I want, I want you to think about how far television has come. If you're under the age of 40, just kind of sit back and be amused by this moment. Because if you want to watch a TV show today, there's so many ways in which you can do that. Maybe at home you have a DVR where you set it up so that you never miss one of your TV shows and you're able to record all of them to watch later. Or perhaps you have a cable package that has the same channel on like four different time zones. So if you miss your show at one point, there's a couple more times where you can actually catch it. Or, or perhaps you stream all your shows through internet, uh, through things like Crave or Netflix. You got to admit, we have come a long way. Even the way you access your shows, many times you can just search for the show that you're looking for, and you can watch not just this week's episode, but you can watch from previous episodes, from previous seasons. But in TV history, this is still a pretty new phenomenon, because 20 or 30 years ago, you would be considered techie if you were just able to figure out how to program the VCR to tape a show with a cassette tape. Because it sounds like an easy task, but if you've never tried taping something on a VCR, you, would, you don't know. Because setting, that, setting the VCR for the right channel at the right time, it just often proved to be fruitless. Because many times you'd pop the tape in, later expecting to watch the episode of Dukes of Hazzard that you, that you taped, only to find out that you actually taped the show 60 minutes. Or, or you got most of it, but at the best part, the tape ran out. Or, or you, you find out you just taped over your sister's piano recital. Before that, if a show was on, say, Thursday at 8 o'clock, you canceled everything you were doing if that show meant something to you, and you watched that Thursday at 8 o'clock, because if you didn't, you missed it. You didn't just miss it, you missed it forever. Because maybe three years down the road, maybe there might be a rerun, but you kind of just accepted if you missed that show at that time, you probably were never going to see that episode. Even the way remotes, remotes have changed. Today's remotes, they, they have a lot of buttons, but the, the early TV didn't have a remote. It just right on the TV unit, it had a power button, it had a, vo a volume control, which is probably the same button, and it had a dial where you could change the channel on there. But you actually had to physically get up, cross the room, and change the channel there. And if you were the youngest in your family, uh, that was probably your job. I remember... At one point, we got a channel changer box, which was life-changing. It was like the size of almost a Kleenex box, and it had a whole bunch of push-down buttons with this long cord that went right across the, the room to the TV. And you could change the channel from your couch. It was unbelievable. But we have multiple ways today to receive our TV shows. Because maybe you have cable, or maybe you have satellite, or maybe you stream all your shows through the internet. It's crazy to think that 
right now, any TV show that I can think of, I can, if I'm willing to pay a small fee, I can watch it right here, right now, on this little screen from a signal in outer space. We have come such a long way. But again, for anyone that is over 40, you remember a portion of your childhood where your TV came to you through airwaves. I'm not talking Wi-Fi, I'm talking actual airwaves. And in order to receive that signal, you would have on top of your TV these two little metal poles, and we would call them rabbit ears. And you would move these rabbit ears around until you were able to get a clear signal with a clear picture. And sometimes what worked once didn't work later. Or a storm would come through, a thunderstorm, and all of a sudden your picture would be gone. You'd have to go through the whole process again of moving them around and get them in the right position. Sounds easy, but there was actually an art to being able to do this. Getting it to the exact right spot, the exact location to get a clear picture where you were trying to get those eight or nine, nine channels that actually came onto your TV, well, that was a skill set. And every family seemed like they had that one person who kind of had the magic touch. But sometimes you would adjust them and you'd move them around until everyone in the room would cheer because a clear picture was coming through. And then you could go sit down with the rest of the family. But there was lots of times where you would let go of the rabbit ears only for the picture to be gone again. And soon you would discover that the only way to get it there is if you held on. It was only clear while you were holding on to it. And so someone in your family would try to convince you, for the sake of the rest of the family, to watch the show while standing up and holding the antenna. Ultimately, you were just trying to tune in to get the best possible reception. This is a good analogy for prayer. Often we'll say that prayer is just talking to God. And there's definite truth to that, because sometimes we overcomplicate prayer sometimes. But on, so on a basic level, it makes sense to understand that prayer is a conversation. But I could talk to one of these walls, and, and it's just one way. So while prayer is a conversation with God, prayer is also tuning my heart to God's. Much like those rabbit ears needed to be tuned to make a clear connection, prayer tunes your heart to God's heart. Musicians understand the importance of tuning. Whether it's to tune a piano or tune a, a guitar, tuning is very important. The definition of tuning is this, to bring into harmony. Or another, another definition is to adjust for precise function, intensity, or effectiveness. So while praying, to, praying is talking to God, it's bigger than that. It's tuning your heart into harmony with God's heart. It's adjusting your life for precise function, increasing the intensity of your passion for Jesus, and increasing the effectiveness of your life as a reflection of love and grace. So if that's what prayer is, it's much better than me just talking into the air. For some people, and that would include many people that call themselves Christians for a long time, Prayer is something that we tend to see as something that we have to do. It's something that maybe I should do. It's something that if I haven't done in a while and I call myself a follower of Jesus, I kind of feel guilty and I don't want to tell people I haven't prayed in a long time. That's not how we should view prayer. 
Because we need to look at prayer as the privilege that we get communicating with God. A God that loves you. A God that cares about you. A God that finds you interesting. A God that finds you funny, even when most people don't. But a God who is invested in you. A God that cares about your future. A God that wants to bless you. And a God that wants to see you grow and get a fullness out of life. And we don't have to. It's not a burden. We get to. You get to pray. And when you can see it like that, it changes things. So how do we pray? Well, Jesus tells us how we pray, but before he does that, he tells us how not to pray. In Matthew 6, 5, Jesus, during his famous Sermon on the Mount, gives this instruction. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand, pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now let's stop there for a moment. See, it could be easy to come away from these couple of verses and think, well, my idea of prayer is, is I should do it privately only, in a closet, secretly. But Jesus is addressing an issue that was quite rampant during this time. Religious people would do religious things in public to be seen. They'd want everyone to see. They would pray on street corners, and they'd pray loud for all to hear and all to admire. And if your reason is to be seen and heard and admired by those passing by, well, Jesus is saying, well, that's it. That's it right there. There's your reward. The admiration of others, there's your reward. There's nothing else coming. Expect no more. But if you want to be heard and blessed from heaven, then seek God humbly and in private. Verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Verse 8 says, But do not, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus starts with a few of the what not to do's. Like I said, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, would stand in the streets with their, with getting everyone's attention as much as they can outside the synagogue, and they would pray long, articulate prayers. They would draw attention to themselves. And truly, people would walk by and they would be impressed. They'd be thinking, they'd listen to these prayers and they think, wow, this guy's very obviously holy. This guy's very obviously close to God because I could never pray like that. I think many of you felt like that before. Have you ever heard anyone praying out loud? Maybe you heard someone pray out loud and thought, wow, I could, I could never pray like that person. Because their prayers seem so, they're so holy. They're, but their prayers were actually long and flowery, and there was a lot of thous and thighs in there. And, and maybe, maybe you heard them praying like that, and it kind of intimidated you, and you thought, I could never do that. Now, truth be told, I, I pray in front of people all the time, and too many times I catch myself praying for the sake of people instead of to God. I catch myself thinking about what I'm saying, not for God's sake, but for others' sake. Because when I pray alone, my prayers are a little more juvenile, if I'm going to be honest. They're shorter. They're more raw. They sound more like, God, help me. God, guide me. God, God, thank you. You're so awesome, God. 
Give me the strength to overcome this thing that I'm doing. Give me the wisdom for this next thing. And this passage teaches us you don't need to babble on and on. It's not about how long you pray or even how loud you pray or or even saying the right combination of words. It's who you're praying to. And in many religions, there's this need to say all the right things and go on and on and babble on and try and get God's attention. We see this in 1 Kings. Real quick, the prophet Elijah gets into a showdown with the prophets of a god named Baal. And each is confident that their God will respond. And so the prophets of Baal pray and they cry out. And when Baal doesn't answer their prayers, they get louder and louder. And when, when Baal doesn't answer their prayers, they start doing ritualistic things by taking, tearing off their clothes and cutting themselves. And, and, and Baal never responds. And then Elijah calls out to Jehovah God, our God, and he immediately responds. You see... If you cry out to the one true God, you don't need to get his attention because you already have it. You don't have to get louder. You don't have to find the right combination of words. You don't have to try to get his attention because he wants to communicate with you. It's not about quantity, but it's about sincerity. So Jesus cares about us praying with a sincere heart with the right reasons to the right audience. But then he teaches us how to do it. And this would be known as the Lord's Prayer. Many of you have heard it, even if you're not a regular church person. I remember reciting the Lord's Prayer every morning in school, in the public school system, before O Canada. And I had to look it up, but it looks like it was about 1988 that prayer was removed from Ontario schools. But we'd begin each day with this prayer in O Canada. Matthew 6, verse 9 says, Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus begins with this term, our Father. Not a formal name. A Father, someone who cares about you, takes care of you, takes care of your needs, loves you. Maybe maybe you grew up, you didn't have a father like that. But this idea of what a true father should be, that's the God who created you. So he says, our Father in heaven... And while he cares and he's approachable like a loving father, he's also awe-inspiring and powerful, so much so that his name should be hallowed. This is just a fancy word meaning greatly honored. And maybe the reason you don't pray to God is because you believe that either he doesn't care or that he can't do anything about your situation. This first line tells us that he's a good father, that he does care, But it also says that he's powerful, that even his name should be honored. Verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we should be praying, God, we want what you want. We want what you want. Truth be told, we sometimes get caught up in what we want, and we don't even consider what God wants. If you truly pray for God's will to be done, you will never be disappointed. For some of you, you're trying to get God to align or tune to your heart, to your wishes. It's like this. If I take this rope, and this rope is my communication, to God, communication line to God, many times I try to get God, I, I pull and I pull 
And I try to pull God to move towards my wants, my wishes, my desires. But his plan is perfect, and I can pull as much as I want, but he's not going to budge because he sees the past and he sees the present. He sees the future all at the same time. So I can pull all I want, but he's not budging. So when he doesn't budge and I don't get what I want, he doesn't play along with my wishes and my desires, I can feel like either he doesn't care or he can't do it. But when I let go from my pulling, then it allows me to feel his pull, his lead me according to his will. So if my prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then I can just allow him to lead me. Verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. I like that. Bread's good. Don't you agree? Especially breadsticks at Olive Garden. Now, some of you remember them. Olive Garden hasn't been uh, in, in Canada for a long time. But I used to live on a border town, and Olive Garden was actually only 25 minutes away from my house. So unlimited breadsticks? I don't even need to see the rest of your menu. But when it comes to my day-to-day with God, I'm going to need a little bit more God than bread. I'm going to need some gas in my car. I'm going to need a mortgage payment. I got two kids in post-secondary that I got to put through. I'm going to need a little bit of more than bread on the daily, God. And we struggle a bit to understand this because we're all rich. And we've talked about this before. No matter what, if you think you're rich or whether you're not, but if you're watching this in Canada right now, just for, just for the fact that you live in Canada, in the grand scheme of the world stage, you're rich. But for those that literally have nothing and don't know where their next crumb of food is coming from, the promise of daily bread is life-giving. Daily bread is provision. God is the supplier of our provision, of our needs. He will supply your every need if you just put your full weight of your trust in him. Verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we also also have forgiven our debtors. The theme here is overflowing with forgiveness. Something Jesus talks about quite often. In other words, Lord, let me be a forgiven forgiver. Let me be a forgiven forgiver. I understand that I've been forgiven because of my past sin, and I will not have to pay the price of my sin because of my, my trust and my faith in you. And I will not owe the debt that I actually should owe. And since you've done that for me, God, let me do that for another. Let me live like a forgiven forgiver. Forgiveness is a gift that is given to you, and there's this expectation that you will use that gift and give it to others. Because as soon as the prayer, if you read on, the, as soon as the prayer ends, Jesus reminds us that God cannot forgive those that choose not to forgive others. So you can't come to him in prayer asking for, for things when you're not willing to forgive others. Verse 13 says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, we all face temptation. It's just there's just no getting around it. We know that sin is tempting. It just is. Because if it wasn't, it'd be actually pretty easy to be perfect. Gossip is tempting. Lying is tempting. Sexual sin is tempting. Revenge is tempting. 
Olive Garden breadsticks are tempting. Sin is tempting. And there is an enemy, an evil one, that has a mandate to destroy you. Call him Satan. Call him the devil. He's the enemy of your heart and your soul. And he's been using the same tired-out tactics for years. Lies and deceit to destroy you. And he uses you against you. Because nobody can sell you on a bad idea better than you can. And so Jesus, when he's showing you how to pray, says, pray like this. God, lead me not into temptation. Lord, help me resist. Be my strength in my times of weakness. Do not let me walk into the evil one's trap that has gotten me so many times before. Now, the prayer ends here. But as a side note, if you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer, which I did when I was in, in, in public school, you would recite it based on the King James Version. And you would end the prayer with this, For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you read any of the newer translations of the Bible, you'll notice that this line is absent. Many will claim that the, the translations have actually removed this line or some other lines and are corrupted, but at the same time, as we've, as we've progressed, we have discovered archaeologically more and more copies of the original or the, the oldest manuscripts, and, and biblical scholars have put them all together, and this line, they've discovered that in the earliest Greek manuscripts, this last line was not included. It appears to have been added at a later date. The newer, newest translations aren't omitting something. They're just trying to be closer to the original manuscripts than before. However, whether you say this line or have this line in your Bible doesn't change the prayer. It's still in harmony with the spirit of the prayer. So let me wrap up this morning or today or whenever you're watching this with a few prayer pointers. Number one, let your prayers be guided by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. See, sometimes, have you ever got to a spot where you're like, you want to pray, but you're just not sure what to pray for? The Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide us in times like that. Sometimes God, you'll be just driving along and God will bring a person to your mind. And maybe it's a coincidence, but I tend to think it's not. I've had a few times where God's brought someone to my mind and I've been compelled to pray for them, and I have. And then maybe a little while later, I'll send them a text and say, hey, buddy, I, I've been thinking about you and just wanted to let you know I've been praying for you. And it's, it's amazing how many times I get back a response saying, you have no idea how much I needed that prayer right now. And in reverse, I've had the same thing happen. Someone who doesn't know anything that's going on in my life right now, maybe we haven't talked in years or, or, or a long time, and, and I get a text from them saying, hey, listen, I've been praying for you, thinking about you, praying for you. If someone comes to your mind or a situation comes to your mind, don't just assume it's out of nowhere and just go about your day and ignore it. It's quite possible that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to pray for that person. Don't ignore that. Just do it right there and then. Number two, let your prayers be guided by faith. I know that sounds a little cliche-ish, but Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, 
this verse has been manipulated by groups like Prosperity Gospel to mean that if you call out for your luxury car or your vacation home or whatever, that God wants you to have it. And it's been abused. And so many of us kind of shy away from this, this verse. But if you tune your heart to the will of God, God, I want what you want. Not God, do what I want, but God, I want what you want then praying with no expectation somewhat fruitless. Faith isn't a power, and if I have enough faith, then I can convince God, I can grab my rope, and I can convince God to, to, to provide the outcome that I want. But faith is saying, God, I have confidence in you. Whatever you choose to do or not do, I have confidence in you. My faith is not in the outcome, but the one who controls the outcome. Jesus would display this in the last hours of his life. Jesus prayed that God would accomplish his will without his crucifixion. You see, he was facing this unimaginable pain that he was going to come up against. And, he, and as he's praying, he says to God, is there any other way we can do this? And God says, there is no other way. He reveals to him that the only way to save humanity was for him to die on the cross for our sins. And Jesus' response is this, and it's telling Okay then, God, not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus modeled what it was to pray with faith. But his faith was not in the outcome that he wanted, but it was in the sparing of his imaginable pain, but it was what that God's will would ultimately be accomplished. Number three, the last one is this. Listen. Jeremiah 33.3 says this. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Now, I think we've all done this. We've monopolized our prayer time by doing all the talking and we spend little to no time listening because maybe we're squeezing it in somewhere. And here's what I've discovered. The more respect you have for someone, the more you listen. The less respect you have for someone, the more you talk. Think about someone that you respect highly. Uh, I, I mean anyone in the world, and maybe they're an expert in something that you are really passionate about. And if you had the chance, if you were just given the chance to sit down with them, have coffee with them for one hour, this rare opportunity to ask any questions you want about their field, that particular field that you're passionate about, would you do most of the talking or would you do most of the listening? Well, I think you'd listen. Well, I hope you would. See, it's no secret I love basketball. If I had the chance to sit down for one hour with Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson or LeBron James and just ask them questions about basketball, just pick their brain and just get all the insight and the knowledge that they have on the sport, I would be a fool to take up all that time that I had talking. It would be a wasted moment and it would also say a lot about my ability to be teachable because I'd listen, I would just soak up everything I could. See, it's in the moments of prayer when you get quiet and listen that God will often illuminate something in your spirit that you didn't see otherwise. It's in those moments of quiet that you realize, wow, I've been so mad at this person, but I didn't actually realize my behavior or my actions actually played a role in this, and they might actually have a reason to be mad at me as well. I never saw it this way. See, God has this, this ability in those moments to be able to give you insight and clarity that you never otherwise saw, but only when you're quiet. God has this tendency to tell you great and unsearchable things that 
you do not know. So while you pray, pray, pray by faith, let, let, your, let the Holy Spirit guide your prayers, but also listen. Listen. Here's how we're going to wrap up today. I want you to repeat the Lord's Prayer after me, and then we're going to take 60 seconds of just silence and quiet time for you to just listen. And I encourage you to do that even after today. Just spend a little more time in, just in God's presence. Here we go. Just repeat after me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today your, our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Let's, let's take some quiet time.